Let me just tell you a couple of things about this chapter 11. How many of you have been reading ahead with me? Any of you? Good for you. God bless you. Now, some things about chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the longest continuous prophecy in the, in the entire Bible. I'm going to say that again. It's the longest continual running prophecy in the whole Bible is the 11th chapter of Daniel. It covers events affecting the Jews from the 5th to the 1st centuries before Christ. Daniel 11 is the only chapter in the Bible that was declared to be sealed until the time of the end. Well, that must mean we're here at the time of the end, so we ought to be able to understand it because it was sealed until the time of the end. At the time of this chapter, Daniel is in the third year of Cyrus. And who is Cyrus? He's the, he is the king, the Persian king, who released Israel to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple. It was Cyrus. But he did that, Cyrus did that in the first year. So this 11th chapter was given to Daniel in the third year. So two years have gone by since Cyrus released the people of God to go back to their homeland after how long of captivity? 70 years. Everybody say with me, sin doesn't pay. And say with me, sin always subtracts. Always. And so they lost 70 years off their life, 70 years off their destiny, off of their uh, being in the epicenter of God's will for them. They, they went into captivity. So now Daniel is a very old man at this point. He's been through kings. He's been through changes of kingdoms. He's been in the lion's den. He's done all that. And now he's an old man. But what an incredible old man. I should say older man. The older you get, you don't want to say old man. You want to say older. Like you want to say, I didn't shop at Walmart, I shopped at Walmart. <laughs> or if you were at Target, I shopped at Target. Or if you were at Neiman Marcus, you weren't at Neiman Marcus, you were in Needless Markup. Okay. That's free. <laughs> I don't know why I went into that. But anyway, now look, um, chapter 11 has two parts. The first part is verses 1 through 35. And they cover the time from Darius the Mede until Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the really bad guy. The second part covers verses 36 to the end, which is verse 45. Well, actually to 12.2 covers the last Gentile ruler who is Antichrist. You know, the last ruler of the Gentiles is Antichrist before Jesus comes, who is in power to the return of the Messiah. Now, a couple more things about chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a lot of history. You're, if I really went into the details of it, you would feel like you were in history class because it's Bible history. It's ancient history. And the thing about chapter 11, and if you haven't read it, you should. It's 45 verses. It's a long chapter. But the thing about chapter 11 is if you get all into the details, it will bog you down. It just bogs you down in details. Details of ancient history that really are not relevant to us today per se. It would really be good to go into the details of chapter 11 in a Bible history class, which we may do sometime. But 
Because you can get bogged down in the details, I'm going to try to avoid getting bogged down in the details. And I want to just stay focused on the bigger picture. Now, I got to tell you, for me, the bigger picture of Daniel 11 and the whole book of Daniel is that God is the God of history. Folks, God is the God of history. I mean, he names kingdoms. You remember, Daniel has dealt with four kingdoms over and over again. Let me just tell you what they were. Babylon, say it with me, Babylon, the Medo-Persians, Greece, and Rome. Now, both Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar received a dream. Daniel a vision, Nebuchadnezzar a dream about those four kingdoms. And when both of them dreamed the dream or had the vision, they were in Babylon. That existed when they had the dream and the vision. But they had no clue in and of themselves that the Medo-Persians would overthrow Babylon. And then the Greeks would come along and overthrow the Medo-Persians. And then the Romans would come along and overthrow the Greeks. God knew. So I'm going to salt and pepper this message tonight, this teaching, with just this phrase, God knew. Because to me, that's the bigger picture. Let me ask you a question tonight. If God was accurate through his prophets about Babylon, about the Medes and the Persians, and these are whole kingdoms now, and the Greeks, as well as the man who is most famous among the Greeks, Alexander the Great, we're going to see him again tonight in chapter 11. If he knew a man was coming before he was even born and what he would be like and what he would do, and he names Antichrist. So many things that Daniel covers. And then the fact that the Romans would overtake the Greeks. If he knew all of that ahead of time, and we're going to see this tonight, then let me ask you a question. Is he, going to, is he right about the end times, the last days, the return of Christ, the rise of Antichrist? Is he right about everything else that is yet to be fulfilled? Now, Bible prophecy is one quarter of your Bible, and most of it has been fulfilled. The majority of Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. Now, if the majority has been fulfilled, do you reckon that the rest will be fulfilled? Exactly as God says. Amen? Amen. So say with me, God knew. All righty. Now, let's begin Daniel 11, verse 1. Now, look what he says. Also... In the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And I want you to say something right here. This first verse should have been the last verse of chapter 10. You do know that the Bible wasn't given in chapters, that chapter makers came along later. It's one continual prophecy. When you, or, or just word from God, the chapters were put in by men. Now, when I look at chapter 10 and chapter 11, to me, they should have just been one chapter because Gabriel is talking and Gabriel is going to talk all the way through chapter 11. Gabriel was a great archangel. He's one of the three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer. Lucifer fell. We got Michael and Gabriel who are still active in planet Earth and in the heavenlies. Now, So when we read verse 1 of chapter 11, it really should have been the last verse of chapter 10. Now, let me take you what 
back to what the last verse of chapter 10 was, and it'll help us to understand what is said in verse 1 of chapter 11. Chapter 10, the last verse, 21, closes out with Gabriel telling Daniel, quote, here goes Gabriel, but I will tell you, Daniel, what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Now, we do know from chapter 10 that when Gabriel was bringing Daniel's answer to prayer to Daniel from God, he encountered warfare in the second heaven for 21 days. You remember that last week? It's a beautiful picture of spiritual warfare. And we're told by Gabriel that Michael, the archangel, had to come help him to defeat the prince of Persia, which was also a demon spirit. So we see that there are spirits that are put over cities and nations that bind them and influence them. And if you pray and you just take a good look at what is ruling that nation spiritually, you get a pretty good idea of what evil spirits are are predominantly influencing it. Like with America, to me it's so clear, perversion, deception, When I look at, uh, say, the Soviet Union, it's communism, it's bondage. When I look at India, it's all of the polytheism, the multi-gods. I mean, there's a god for everything in India. They worship multi-gods, and and that's you feel it when you land in India. But that's not the spirit that's over America primarily. And over Persia, there was a prince spirit that Gabriel, when he was bringing Daniel's answer to prayer, encountered. And he was fighting this prince. And the Bible says that Michael had to be dispatched to help Gabriel. And the two of them defeated this prince and Gabriel broke through with the answer. Now look at verse chapter 11, verse one again. Also in the first year, this is Gabriel talking. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now, that is Gabriel telling us that with Michael, they both played a part, I believe, in turning Persia's natural hostility to Israel into friendliness. Gabriel is telling Daniel that he stood with Michael in spiritual warfare during the first year of the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's likely that through this angelic intervention, the natural hostility of Persia to Israel was turned to friendliness. What does this show us? It shows us that there are, and I don't want to sound weird here or freaky or Twilight Zone-ish or make you kind of paranoid. I don't want to do that. But, but didn't Paul say, we struggle not or battle not or fight not against flesh and blood? Didn't he say that? But against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, rulers of the darkness of this world? Didn't he say that? So when you think you're fighting a person, you're really not sometimes. But there is an influence behind the person or the group. You can't tell me that there was not major demonic and spiritual warfare in this last election. I have never seen America go through what America just went through. I mean, you you had to sit back at times watching what, what they call themselves, the news. I don't trust the news. I haven't watched a network newscast in 
35 years. I don't trust them. They don't tell the truth. They're as biased as the day is long, but that's another story. If, you're, if you ever watch network news, you better put on your discerning antenna because they're not telling you the truth, dude. They're biased. And, and they don't care if you think it anymore. It's all out there. But anyway, I digress. That's one of my soapboxes. It just drives me nuts. My minor in college was journalism, and I know what you're taught, and they're not doing it. Now, so, so here behind the scenes, we're being told that, that when Darius took over Babylon with the Medes and the Persians, Michael and Gabriel were involved in changing their attitude towards Israel. We could stand a little bit of that today. Amen? The king of the Medes was Darius and the king of the Persians was Cyrus. And these two unified kings and kingdoms joined together to overthrow Babylon. But they were not pro-Israel until one day Cyrus said, hey, if you, if you people of God, if you uh, Jewish people want to go rebuild your city, go ahead. You got my blessing and I'll help, I'll help foot the note. That's favor. And the suggestion here in verse 1 is that Gabriel and Michael had a, had a hand in that. Now, Gabriel now proceeds to give Daniel the understanding of what he was diligently seeking for. What Gabriel is going to show Daniel is the truth. For remember, in chapter 10, Gabriel and Michael have the truth. There is, folks, a the truth. It's not all relative. There is a the truth. And if you've got a Bible in your hand, you're holding the truth. Okay? Now, let's look at verse 2. Now I will tell you, says Gabriel, the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. The fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength and through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Now, you've got to know some history here. And let me just give you some history. The fourth king of Persia after Cyrus was Xerxes, the husband of Queen Esther who ruled at the height of, her, of Persian power and wealth. And you know what he did? Exactly what Gabriel said he would do. He raised a huge army, drawing from 40 different nations and attacked Greece around 480 B.C. What did Gabriel say was going to happen? By his strength, through his riches, he will stir up all against the realm of Greece. It happened, just like Gabriel said. So let me go ahead and say it. God knew. This Persian invasion against Greece was eventually repelled and defeated, but it created a burning desire and anger on the part of the independent city-states of Greece to unite and strike back against the Persians, which they did under Alexander the Great. Now, here's God. Once again, he's about to show us that a man is going to show up on the scene, on the stage of history, and he's going to bring this about, and it's Alexander the Great. Look at verse 3. Then a mighty king shall arise, that's Alexander, who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his whole kingdom will be uprooted even for others besides these. Now, I've told you a couple of weeks ago that Alexander was, was an incredible military warrior. He, he is still considered one of the very top, if not the top, 
military geniuses in history. But you know what? He could conquer the world, but he couldn't conquer himself. He was an alcoholic. And he drank himself to death at around 32 years old after he had conquered much of the world. So you know what, folks? You can do a lot of things out here, but the real challenge is to conquer what's in here. That's the challenge. He that, the, here's the proverb, he that has rule over his own spirit is stronger than the person who takes a city. So if you can rule your own spirit, you're stronger than a warrior who goes and conquers a city. Alexander couldn't do it. He couldn't conquer himself. And when he died, his kingdom was split up into four parts. Four generals went in four different directions, and his kingdom was divided up, just like Gabriel said. Now, this is the end of the obvious and easy sections of this prophecy. Now we're about to get into some difficult stuff. But I I think we're going to get through it. Amen? Now, the next 15 verses cover the intricate details of the four rulers of Alexander's divided kingdom of Greece. And all you need to know about that is this. Two of them, two of the four, two of the four generals came to dominate to such an extent that the Bible calls them the king of the north and the king of the south. So two of the four distinguished themselves. I'm not going to read through all all 15 verses because it would sound like gobbledygook to you. It's history. But, and I don't want to get lost in the details. If you want to read it on your own, read it on your own. But what you need to know, and here's the standout thing to me, is that the enemies of Israel, such as Babylon and Egypt, always attacked from the north and always attacked from the south, Thus, the king of the north and the king of the south came to symbolize the adversaries of God's people. Now, this entire vision depicts these enemies as warring powers adversely affecting God's people. Now, my takeaway is this. This is what the rest of the Bible reveals as well. Israel and God's people, and that would also mean you, because now you are God's people. Can we say that together? I am God's people. Because now you're a chosen generation. You're the royal priesthood. You're the holy nation. You're the called out people. That you would show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So my takeaway is that God's people have always been in the devil's crosshairs. Whether it was Israel in the Old Testament or us now, the church in the New Testament. And my second takeaway is this. World history, and, and, and this is amazing to me, but if you're, if you're going to teach world history, do you know that it can best be explained by its wars rather than its achievements? Human beings are such warring people. I mean, how many wars are going on in the world right now? Look at what's happened this week with the terrorism war. Man has always been a shedder of blood. Now, I told you that I watch forensic files all the time. I do. Forensic Files is when somebody does something terrible and they always end up getting busted. And I like watching people get busted. I just do. I like watching God's justice roll. <clears throat> I just do. And it's amazing to me how they found, find these people. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's what I've noticed. They are always showing some horrible crime happening in some small town. And they always say this, well, this kind of thing just doesn't happen here. 
I said, if you got people in it, it happens there. You know why? Because the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And who can know it? I mean, you'll see, today I watched one. I'm confessing, I did, I watched one today. And here's a 17-year-old girl, shot her parents. Shot and killed her parents while they were asleep. Went in and shot and killed her parents. And, and everybody that knew her said, I just can't believe she did this. And I can't believe it happened in this little bitty town. I can't believe it, ca- it came here. This kind of thing doesn't happen here. Well, it just did. And I'm going to tell you why it happened there. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. And not just wicked, but desperately wicked. And who can know it? And that's why we need a heart transplant. And that's why you must be born again. Because until you're born again, your heart can do anything. You put somebody in the right situation and they'll kill. They'll steal. They'll lie. Why? Because our hearts are fallen. And so if you want to study world history, it's a, it's a history of bloodshed, tyranny, dictatorships, cruelty. Rarely, well, in fact, in history, never has there been a place like America. We're not under a dictator. Now, the next section covering verses 16 to 20 applies to a tyrant named Antiochus, who is the king of the north, that the Bible says none shall stand before him and of his conquest of Israel. Now, he's a bad guy. And remember in chapter 10, Daniel was burdened. That's why he went on a 21-day fast. He was burdened. And what was he burdened about? He knew that tough times were coming for his people. And this Antiochus is one of the tough times that he knew in chapter 10 was coming for his people. He was king of the north. None will stand before him. He's going to make conquest of Israel. Look at verse 16. He, Antiochus, that comes against him, the him is Israel, shall do after his own will as he desires without control. He will stand in the glorious land. That's Judea. That's God's land with destruction and power. So here's a prediction that really tough times are coming for Israel in Old Testament days. And we know that Antiochus came along. He held all Judea captive. And with the provision and product of the captivity, he maintained his massive army. And then later he switched. And to win the children of Israel over to his side from the Egyptians, he gave them liberties. Like, you can worship the way you want to. You can do your sacrifices in the temple if you want to. Uh, You know, practice your religion if you want to. I'm all for it. You go, guy. I'm all for you practicing your religion. I, I I really believe like you do. And he seduced Israel over to his side. So in that sense, he's a real type of antichrist. Because that's what Antichrist is going to do, I think, in the very near future. He will cut a peace treaty with Israel. He will make them think he's on their side. And they will cut a seven-year treaty with hell. And I've I've told you about this repeatedly. Three and a half years into it, he breaks it. He goes into the Holy of Holies of the rebuilt temple. 
and he walks into the sacred place and proclaims himself to be God, and he defiles it. This Antiochus is a type of him, but his son, Antiochus Epiphanes, that we're going to look at in a moment, is even more a type of the Antichrist. So, the next verses, 17 through 19, predict Antiochus's various conquests, which again, I'm going to let you read on your own. You can read it if you like. And next, we have one of Antiochus's two sons that is going to be alluded to here as a burdensome taxer of his people. Now, Antiochus left two boys. I think the, the name of the first one is Seleucus. And if it's not, oh well. That's what I'm going with. Seleucus and Antiochus, Epiphanes. So he left two sons, both of whom successfully followed him on the throne. In the first one, or it is the first one, Seleucus, who's the oppressive taxer. Look at verse 20. There shall arise in his place one Seleucus who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. So the people of God were taxed burdensome, in a burdensome way by this man. Now, next, Gabriel, who is still the one talking, says in verse 21, and in his place, that is, Seleucus's place, shall arise what kind of a person? Vile person. To whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he will come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue, by manipulation. The vile person here is the second son, Antiochus, Epiphanes, the second son of Antiochus, who commits the abomination of desolation. And I told you what he did. He did many things, but the worst thing he did that Jesus alludes to in Matthew 24, he walked into the Holy of Holies with a pig and he desecrated the Holy of Holies. And when he did this, he went down in history as having, we're about to read about it, as having done something that none of his fathers ever did. He was the worst of the worst. His name meant a God who became a man. He loved being called that, a, the God who be, a God who became a man. Some of his people called him Antiochus Ampimenes, which means madman. Anytime some man thinks he's God, he's a madman. He became king because he cheated, and he was a prolific liar. So he was a typical politician. I'm sorry, did I come in tonight with a chip on my shoulder? <laughs> I, just, I just never cease to be amazed at how they can look you right in the eye through the camera and just lie through their pearlies and then leave and go take a nap. I don't get it. No conscience. May God move on Washington and restore a conscience to Washington. Yes. Amen. That's a good time right there to give the Lord a hand. That, we need that real bad. <laughs> we really do. But this Antiochus, yeah, he was a typical, you know, dictator, liar, politician. He became king, cheating and lying. Then he defeated other nations the same way, by lying and by intrigue. Just as Gabriel predicted. So say with me, God knew. He was a very powerful king who did evil things, worse things than the kings before him did, like the abomination of desolation I just talked about. But God only let him continue for six years. Thank God there is always a hand on the dial 
when somebody wicked rises up, nobody would have ever guessed that Hitler would have perished when he did. It looked like he was going to rule the whole world until the very end. But God always has his hand on the dial. And you know what? God always knows. He knows the end from the beginning. Now, next, verse 22 could be a reference to Rome's part in Christ's death. Christ, in verse 22, I believe is called the Prince of the Covenant. It says, with the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken. And also the Prince of the Covenant will be broken. Now, next, verses 23 and 24 are once again dealing with the defiler, Antiochus Epiphanes. Look at verse 23. And after the league is made with him, he will act deceitfully. For he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He will enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province. And he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. And that's, again, the abomination of desolation. He will disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches. And he will devise his plans against the strongholds. All of this, folks, is against Israel that we're reading about. So what Daniel was burdened about in chapter 10, this is where it all goes down in chapter 11. Antiochus, his son Antiochus Epiphanes, wreaking havoc on the glorious land, the glorious land under attack. And let me ask you, is the glorious land under attack today? I mean, what would happen? Right now, if most of the Arab world could have their wish, what would that wish be? that Israel no longer existed, that it's vaporized right now. That would be their wish. So the glorious land was under attack then, and the glorious land is under attack now. And, and world events in the end times are all going to revolve and rotate around Israel. Now, verse 25 through 30 are, again, lots of detail that can take your eye off the bigger picture. They deal with the war between Antiochus and Egypt, where Antiochus wins the battle. And then also, verses 29 through 35 can bog you down if you let it. They inform us that later, Antiochus attacked Egypt again. This time, he was not successful because the Romans opposed him, and his brief reign of terror came to an end. Now, once again, can I point out that these things Gabriel said would happen before they ever started? So can we say it again? God knew. Now with the start of verse 36, a shift takes place in this chapter where the man, Antiochus Epiphanes, is no longer the subject because things are described that he did not do. We know what he did historically, and things are described he never did. In verse 36, to the close of the chapter in verse 45, I believe Gabriel is now focusing on the coming Antichrist of the last days. So there is a shift. Now, again, I ask you tonight, if God knew all of the detailed intricacies of what was going to go down with these various nations, does he know what's going to go down at the end of the world? In, in the minutest detail, oh, yeah. So here he comes now. Here's Gabriel. He's shifting gears. He's focusing on another man now, another evil individual. So let's finish this session. I want to just read 
36 through 39 and highlight some of the things that Antichrist is going to do in the last days. Look at verse 36. Then the king, and that's Antichrist now, shall do according to his own will. Look at his character. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He will speak blasphemies against the God of gods. He will prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Now, you do know, church, that Antichrist coming out of the scene has been determined by God. What did Paul tell us? Because men in the last days will reject the truth, God himself will send a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. And what is the delusion? It's this man. And what is the lie? That he's the answer. So he's arrogant. He's blasphemous. He has a vile tongue. He is the fulfillment of God's wrath. Verse 37, he will regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Now, I'm, I'm just going hes- I'm, I'm to just make a little guess here. I don't know. I don't know. This is heavy stuff, but, but let me hazard a guess. Two things he's going to kick against tradition. He will not regard the God of his fathers. But second, he's not going to regard the desire of women. So could it be he's homosexual? I don't know. But what a strange statement. He will not regard the desire of women. What a strange statement. What do you do with that? Well, I can hazard a guess. I don't know. It might, it might not be. Nor regard any God, for he will exalt himself above them all. Oh, yeah, he's going to say, I'm God. But in their place, he shall honor a God of fortresses, and that means a God of war. And a God which his fathers did not know, he will honor with gold and silver, precious stones, and pleasant things. I don't know what the God is that his fathers didn't know that he's going to honor. I don't know what that is. Verse 39, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God. Isn't that interesting? Which he shall acknowledge, this foreign God. He will acknowledge, and he will advance the glory of this foreign God. And he shall cause them to rule over many. And look what he'll do. Look at this last phrase. He will divide the land. Well, what's the land? It's Jerusalem. It's Israel. And you know that God speaks a curse, a real curse on anybody who tries to divide the land? Did you know that? Very, very clear in the Bible, repeatedly, several places. God says, you touch that land, you divide that land, you're under a curse. And several curses are released on the people. That's why I've always gotten nervous when our presidents have tried to divide the land. The one there now has tried it more than anybody. That's just a fact. He's trying to divide it. He tried to take it away from them. He tried to give it to the Arabs over and over again. So this Antichrist will succeed in dividing the land for gain. Now, since the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, many other evil men have lived. Many of them hated God and many of them hated his people like Hitler. 
Hitler hated God and Hitler hated God's people. Hitler was totally demon-possessed. The Third Reich were Satan worshipers. Did you know that? The Third Reich were Satan worshipers. Many of them were active homosexuals. I'm just telling you what I've read in history. I'm just quoting history. But, but they were huge occultists, really involved in the dark arts. And they hated God's people and tried to annihilate them. The man who will come at the end of the world, though, will be even worse. He will be Hitler squared on steroids. Let me read to you out of the New Testament what Paul writes about this coming Antichrist and see how it lines up without, with what Gabriel just said in the verses we just read. Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Can we all read that together? I think that's good advice. Don't be soon shaken in mind and troubled. Let's try it once more. I had about 10 of you. Don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or rumor or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. Now, he's going to tell us what has to happen before Jesus comes back. Listen to this. Second part of verse 3, for that day, return of Christ, will not come unless there is a falling away first. Let me stop there a minute and say that means an apostasy. Now, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, he said, in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and teachings of demons. There will be an apostasy. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. Are, are we watching right now in America, in the West? Let's just talk about America. That's where we live, in the West. Are we watching an apostasy? Oh, yes, we are. So where, Jeff? The, many of the major denominations that used to be the bulwarks of the truth, they used to hold forth the Bible as the holy scriptures of God, have now completely walked away from them. They are putting their seal of approval on what Scripture condemns, for instance, uh, validating homosexuality. And you know there's a lot of preachers who won't even say that. They're so terrified by PC that they won't even say it. But you see, Paul warned that these days would come. And in Romans 1 and other parts of the Bible, homosexuality, along with other types of sexual sin, is clearly condemned. But we've got whole denominations now that are putting their seal of approval up on it, who are marrying same-sex people and who are ordaining active, outspoken homosexuals. Paul would be turning over in his grave. It's a fact. It's an apostasy. We're watching whole denominations uh, reject the virgin birth, reject the teaching of the return of Christ. There's churches you can walk in that used to preach the return of Christ, used to preach the virgin birth, that now tell you it's a myth, it's a fable, it's allegorical, it's metaphorical. It's not really to be taken literally. We're, we're watching a real apostasy in the West. We're watching what Paul, let no one deceive you, that day won't come unless there's a falling away. A falling away from what? 
you got that Bible in your hand. Hold up your Bible. <clears throat> Let's just hold it up. Now, what that book clearly says, clearly in black and white, is what people will fall away from, what they will throw out the window. And the reason they throw out the window is because they have departed in their hearts from the true and the living God. And now the Bible is not going to scrutinize me. I'm going to scrutinize the Bible. The Bible's not going to pick me apart. I'm going to pick the Bible apart. And when you start doing that, you're going down the road of apostasy. Folks, it's happening in mass around us. Stunningly. Now look at the next thing he says. The man of sin must be revealed. The son of perdition. Who opposes himself or opposes and exalts himself. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Let me read that again. There has to be then a rebuilt temple. Because look right here. He sits as God in what? The temple of God. And what is standing right now where the temple used to be? The Dome of the Rock. The place for Islamic worship. But right here, it's clear. This Antichrist will sit calling himself God in the temple of God. And that's the abomination of desolation Jesus warned about in Matthew 24 that he said would come in the last days before his return. Showing himself that he is God. Now, I used to read this and I used to go, nobody will fall for that. I don't think it anymore. After the things I've seen people fall for, just hook, line, and sinker with the greatest of ease, with no problem at all, now I have no problem envisioning a man tremendously charismatic, magnetic, who feigns himself to be a peacemaker, who will come onto the world scene, step onto the stage of history, and will bring an Arab-Israeli peace treaty. And everybody will say, oh, my Lord, it's finally done, and this is the guy that did it, and he's our answer, and listen to him. He is, he's the man. And they're right. He is the man. He's the man of sin, the son of perdition, who is to come. He'll say he's greater than God, but then he will turn on the Jews. And halfway through the tribulation period, halfway into the peace treaty that he cuts with Israel, he will break it, and all hell will break loose on the Jewish people and Christians around the world, and there will be a persecution like we've never seen, and blood will be spilled like we've never seen martyrs' blood spilled. He will attack many countries, and he will have power over them. He'll institute the one world monetary system. He'll institute the mark of the beast. He'll institute 666. You will get something under the palm of your hand or on your forehead. I believe it will either be a a little tattoo kind of thing or something under the skin. And, And now people, when they read this hundreds of years ago, they couldn't figure out what this was about. But now with the age of technology, we know exactly how it'll happen. You'll go under a scanner in the supermarket. You won't have to put down your credit card anymore. There'll be no chip on a card. The chip will be in you. The chip in the card is just the next step before the chip in you. And those of us who know the Bible will refuse it. People, Christians who come to Christ during this time, they'll refuse it. And they'll be hunted and stalked like animals in the world. 
Some will survive, some will die. Many will be martyred. And it will all lead to the greatest war and the worst bloodshed in the history of the world. And when it looks like no flesh will be saved, Christ will return at the sound of the trumpet and the Antichrist and the false prophet. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Just like Antiochus was given only six years and then he was cut off, Antichrist will be given seven years and then he will be cut off. God's hand is on the dial the whole time. And God will unleash his judgment. Jesus will return. Antichrist and the false prophet will be grabbed hold of by Messiah and cast into the lake of fire. And they will break open the lake of fire, which right now is sizzling with nothing in it. Now, this is Daniel. Now, everybody say with me one more time, God knew. If he knew then, he knows now. Amen? Now, next time we're going to finish, next Wednesday, is what's called Dead Week. We're going to be alive in Dead Week. And we'll be here Wednesday night to do Daniel 12, and uh, the wise will shine. And we're going to have good news next week. Amen? Let's stand up.